Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it is wonderful to be able to reach out to you on this middle of July Wednesday. When I first came to Dallas many, many years ago, I was still corresponding with some of my uh, friends from college and certainly from the, the place where I grew up in Pennsylvania. And I, I told them then that the two true test of ministry was being willing to serve the Lord in Texas in the middle of July and August. <laughs> I meant that. Of course, that first year I was here, we had, I don't know how many days of plus 100. It, the highest day I remember, I had a youth event outside. It got up to 117, I think. So it's not that bad now. God's given us some rain over these past few days, and there's always the battle with the enemy trying to turn this place into a desert wasteland. But God uh, has stopped all the drought talk over the years. Um, the media tries to threaten it every now and then just to get their ratings up. But uh, we've, be, we've been blessed by rain, particularly these past few days. But um, it's pretty hot up here in the booth. But nevertheless, I'm very happy to be able to be with you and to share the word of the Lord together today. Um, over the past couple of weeks, God has really been focusing upon the way that Samuel ministered and the propensity that God gave him to establish gathering points, schools as it were, even though you look for the word school, you don't find it there. Uh, but but places where young people could come and learn and to develop their points of expression before the Lord regarding their spiritual giftings, regarding his word, regarding how they would hear from God, how they would respond. And that that's a wonderful thing. And it wasn't it wasn't just, oh, we're gonna go and have a Holy Ghost hoedown and everybody will feel great and then they can go back about their business and wait for the next one. These were established uh, places of learning that were for the purpose of indoctrinating the, the populace with what it really meant to be God's people. Uh, for 400 plus years, the Bible tells us clearly that that length of time happened uh, during what was known as the days of the judges. And by the time um, uh, the days of the judges had, uh, <laughs> had enough time to show what, what uh, would be indicated by those days, the Bible says that it was a time where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And I find that so much the calling card for our world, for individual lives in today's society. You could easily say your truth. That'd be the same thing as saying what's right in your own eyes. Um, and, and really, in a lot of the church, people are attracted to what appeals to them physically, um, emotionally, dare I say, their passions. And while those are good things when they're focused on the Lord, people can become addicted to what they feel and they're willing to follow anything that produces that, whether it's from God or says it's from God, but really not from God or just flat isn't from God. And so the days of the judges were really rough times and when we come to Samuel's life, the Bible says that 
the word of the Lord was so deep um, and it was it was not pursued by people so that it was rare, precious but rare. And that because of that, there was no way that God could speak to the people and give them any measure of breakthrough. Isn't that something? So Samuel comes on the scene and immediately begins to establish teaching and teaching of how to respond appropriately to the Spirit. Now, appropriately to the Spirit, not just having a spiritual manifestation. Because if you do that without understanding the Word, you're, you're on a pathway to destruction. And that's, that's a challenge we face as we go around the world because we're devoted to the Word. And a lot of camps that we go into... I, I'm not disputing that they love the Lord, but they they want they want action. People like to be entertained. People like to feel things. When it comes time to seeking the Lord and waiting on the Lord, not so much. I mean, that's 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 just not what they want. Um, they'll say they're doing it, but it's not what they want. So Samuel established these places where the prophets, the Nabir, could come, and sons of those, people, people who would learn often from prophets, but it was more focused on knowing how to respond to God, to how to, when you begin to bubble up, that's really what Nabir means, when you begin to sense the stirring, first of all, You've got to be willing to sense the stirring. You've got to know how to put yourself in a position for God to stir you. And then you've got to recognize what does God want from me when this happens pertaining to my particular giftings and what my calling is. And what does the Word say about this? Um, how do I manage according to the scripture what's happening to me uh, see these are these are important things so to gather prophets doesn't mean that there were a bunch of Isaiah's and Gad's and Nathan's running around those were rare you list the known prophets in the Old Testament there's not a whole lot of them but there were hundreds and even thousands of these young people who were trained in the ways of responding to the Spirit. Yes, and sometimes that meant giving a word to people or bringing foreknowledge or receiving from the Lord. Sometimes that, that involved God saying, you go and tell this person. Occasionally, unnamed men with prophecies would be sent to kings or leaders. But for the most part, these people in the schools that Samuel established were sincere. They just wanted God. They wanted to minister. They, they weren't looking to be recognized as prophets. But they wanted to live a lifestyle of prophecy. And what is that in the New Testament anyway? You've taught it. You've studied it. It, it really means to hear from God and to die to self. To follow after what God is laying before you. To give your life to it. That's your testimony. That's the spirit of prophecy, according to the book of Revelation. And so you die to self. You die to your own desires. You die to every other thing that would pull on you and you live for what the Spirit is asking you to be, to portray, and to do. And that, and that really is what these people were expressing or were supposed to be expressing. So this is what Samuel 
gave as his as his point of of ministry, and in and in fact, um, he he says, you know, he, he was still challenged by the fact that the people in his mind rejected what God was really wanting from them. Instead of people doing what was right in their own eyes, they would become a holy people, a holy nation. And Samuel was working hard to fulfill that. And so he he really was aggravated that people rejected that. And God said, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. But then God allowed them to select a king through the directive of God to Samuel. And that happened with Saul and with David. But in uh, 1 Samuel 12, 23, Samuel says, basically, the hallmark of his ministry. Uh, he was going to present to them the tobe and how to do what was right regarding the tobe, how to direct themselves, how to teach, how to point them to that. That's what Samuel tried to do. And he also demonstrated this amazing gift to ask God for the thunder and the rain, which was an intercessory dimension. But it was shown as signs uh, in the natural upon the earth. Uh, there are a lot of things to say about what Samuel did, but today we want to look at how God dealt with Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Now, we know the backstory that God ordained this um, scenario where Saul's father's donkeys um, were lost. And Saul was sent out to find them. He couldn't find them. Finally decided, I'm going to go to the seer, Samuel, and he'll tell me where they are. In the meantime, God said, you know, I'm going to bring this young man, Saul, to you, and I need you to anoint him to be king. So this was all a setup. And, but from the time then that Samuel is spending with Saul in this initial encounter, Saul, Saul is told about a number of things that are going to happen between the time that Saul leaves Samuel and he gets back home to his father. And sometimes people read this and they think, wow, you know, Samuel was just saying, it was like a travel guide. This is going to happen to you, this is going to happen to you, and this is going to happen to you. Isn't that phenomenal? Well, it, it really was. But the whole exchange was not something geared to say, look how accurate I am in prophesying. It, it wasn't that. It was to, to really show the development of what God needed Saul to go through. And I would dare say a development that we need and, and those that are called to be trained by us the development that they need to pursue. So let's look at this together. Maybe you've never considered this before, but I, I don't believe that any of the scripture is there by accident. I also don't think that this was just a uh, Samuel trying to say to, to Saul, hey, look how good I am. I can tell you what's coming. These were progressions that anybody that wants to follow the Lord and be developed in this school has to pursue. So, you find in 1 Samuel 10 that God is saying some things to, um, to Saul through Samuel that are, that are very important. Samuel, first one, took a vial of oil, poured it upon his head, 
Saul's head, kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you to be captain over his inheritance? Somebody that will oversee the inheritance of the people in the land. The inheritance of the people in their own lives, in their tribes, in the high places. This was the inheritance of the Lord. And he says, when you're departed from me, you'll find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zelza. And they will say unto you, the asses which you went to seek are found. Your father has left the care of them and sorrows for you, saying, what shall I do for my son? This is the first the first thing we need to recognize. Why this encounter? Well, it, I, I think that it was God saying from the time of Rachel and you'll have teaching at the seminar about Rachel weeping. We're not going to go there today. That's not my teaching. But from, the, from that time there was challenge regarding the people of God becoming what God wanted them to be. And um, the, the beginning point of Saul's ministry was supposed to be for the pursuit of the fulfillment of what God wanted the seed of Abraham through Jacob and Rachel and Leah that those children would serve God and follow him. And if, if they would fulfill that calling, then God would provide for them and the households would be blessed by God. So these guys are waiting at this sepulcher. Obviously, the Lord told them what to say. Um, and they said, what you're seeking has already been taken care of. And your father's concerned for you. I, I, I would put that the other way around. The fulfillment of the desires of the father's the people of God for their progeny, for their inheritance, that, that that would be assuaged and that there would be a fulfillment of what the people of God should be and in that God would provide for every need. Um, you know, we know the story of Rachel. We know... You know, you had Joseph and Benjamin, you know, the the other brothers got crossways with Joseph, sold him into slavery, lied to their parents. We know how God did that mighty work uh, through Joseph. And um, Benjamin then became what Benjamin was. This is Saul's tribe. And basically, these guys are saying, look, if you want to deal with what your, your inheritance, what your family line's supposed to be, if you want to deal with what God really created you to be, this is the beginning point. And you don't have to worry about any other thing because God's going to provide for that. I think this is significant. I remember when I first started to hear the voice of the Lord regarding those elementary steps toward becoming what we are as a as a ministry of saints I was concerned um, I wanted to follow the Lord and I did follow the Lord to the best of my ability but I was concerned that I didn't fail God that I didn't destroy my church that I was responsible for. Oh, it's the Lord's church, brother. You know what I mean. I was the under-shepherd here. 
I didn't want to destroy the ministry that God had given. I sure didn't want to dishonor my wife's heritage. I did I didn't I didn't want to to see the catastrophe that so many people told me would happen if we followed God. And God took care of it. And we we became a people who sought our Heavenly Father. And I, I, don't, I don't want to dismiss the significance of this. You know, when Samuel said goodbye to Saul, and when, when he eventually leaves, it's all here in this chapter, when he departs from Samuel, God gave Saul another heart. He had to make that decision that I'm going to follow God. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, why didn't you just stay with Samuel? You, you can't, you, you have to live this thing out before the Lord. You can't rely on Samuel to do it for you. You've got to make that commitment that, as for me and my house, we're going. We're going to stay in right relationship, but with, with the leadership God's put over me. But um, I've got to determine that this is the pathway I'm taking. This place that Samuel said Saul would go to first represented Saul's heritage because he was of the tribe of Benjamin, and Benjamin was one of Rachel's sons. And he needed to follow God to fulfill what that tribe was supposed to do. Up to that point, they've not shown a really good track record. They, they, They did horrible things. In fact, you, if you read the f- remainder of this, after Samuel publicly acknowledged that Saul would be king, there were enough of those Belial guys still in Benjamin that they said, we don't care what Samuel says. We're not going to follow this guy named Saul. And they made it known. And then you read that after Saul rallied the people to go against the, the uh, Ammonites, and God gave a great victory. Um, some of the people that were around Saul said, hey, where are these guys that were saying we weren't going to follow you? Let's kill them. And Saul said, no, don't do it. God's run a great victory. We're not going to kill anybody else today. But there was, there was a challenge there in Benjamin. And um, the first thing that Saul had to do was say, at that important place, I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to commit my heritage. There's no going back from this. And Samuel told him he had, no, he didn't tell him all this. Since when does God ever tell you beforehand everything that what you're going to experience, everything that is in that is entailed in that experience you you do and then you learn you obey and then you learn and so Saul just goes these guys say this to him and he the prophetic representation of what this signified was there and it's for all of us we've we've got to anybody that wants to learn the pneumaticos things. I mean, really learn them and apply them. Not just be a stooge that comes and samples, but somebody that really wants to commit themselves. They've got to say, my heritage, why I'm here, with all its failures in the past, I've got another heart now, and I'm making this commitment, and I'm serious. I'm going forward. That was the first thing that Saul was told by Samuel and I I don't think that we can I don't think 
that, that any of us can mistake that that had to happen in our lives, and we have to know that it has to happen where, um, wherever God leads us. Then verse 3, you will then go on forward, I turn the holy writ, from thence, and you will come to the plain of Tabor. Now, this is really the oak of Tabor. It's a, it's a bad translation. Just like the plains of Mon, Mamre are the oaks of Mamre. It was a forested place. Now, this oak of Tabor was well known. Um, th this, this oak tradition says was a massive tree many feet wide it was well known Tabor was a, a a really phenomenal place in the topography of of Israel it was where Barak gathered his troops when they were going to come against the Syrians so, and and there were other there were other things that this place represented. In fact, some of the Jewish scholars that I read said that had God not specifically said the temple has to be built in Jerusalem, this would have been the place where the temple should would have been uh, constructed because it had a, a high plateau. It was a picturesque place. And this was a this was a really notable location but for them for for Saul's memory what was most notable was the fact that this was the gathering point of the tribes through Deborah under Barak where a nation rose up and threw out a world power so you're going to come to the oak of Tabor and they will meet you three men going up to God to Bethel one carrying three kids. I don't know how he did that. Another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute you and give you two loaves of bread which you will receive of their hands. What does this mean? Well, Bethel, this group, they represented the place where God really communed with people and changed people. They were going to have a a sacrifice and a feast before the Lord. And at this notable place for Saul, they give him two of their loaves of bread. They didn't give him the meat. They didn't give him the wine. Why? Because they Saul needed to have an encounter with God and he needed to receive commune with God and he needed to receive a word from God. That's what the bread represented. And then he was responsible for communicating and overseeing the, 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 the division of that word throughout the nation in conjunction with Samuel. This is interesting. The anointing of these guys that were part of that, of that gathering place in Bethel, they gave him bread. Samuel foresaw it and Saul took the bread. We've got to be willing to be changed. We've got to study the Word. We've got to spend time with God. We've got to take responsibility for what He's giving us. We need to let our life be changed in accordance with what God would say and what God would instruct. So it's not enough to be anointed. It's not enough to have a prophetic word. It's not enough to make a commitment You've got to live it. You've got to become it. And that was significant here at Tabor, at the oak. These trees are important. We've, we've been studying about what trees represent in the kingdom and how we as intercessors um, bring that about. This place of warfare, this place of meeting, through the anointing, uh, through the bread, all of these things are factors, and that's what Samuel told Saul he would encounter next. 
Then it says in verse 5, After that, you will come to the hill of God. What does this mean? This is Gibeah of Elohim. This is a unique place, but it's Saul's home hometown, basically. In fact, further in Saul's uh, chronicles, they would call this place the hill of Saul, the Gibeah of Saul. And um, he, he was known here. You'll come to this place where people offered sacrifices to God. And um, there is a garrison of the Philistines. We'll talk about that in a minute. It shall come to pass when you are come thither to the city, you will meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place, that high place, with psaltery, tabret, pipe, and harp before them, and they'll prophesy. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you'll prophesy with them, and you'll be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs are come unto thee that you do as occasion serve thee, for Elohim is with you. And you'll go down before me to Gilgal. Behold, I will come down unto you to offer burnt offerings, to sacrifice, sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you'll tarry till I come and show you what you shall do. Okay, let's talk about this. So he first shows up at Rachel's sepulcher. Then he's to the oak of, of Tabor. And now he's at his home base. He sees prophets coming down from the high place there at his home. There is a garrison of the Philistines, and whenever you make a commitment to the Lord, the first warfare you're going to have to do is to take authority over the place where the enemy has become comfortable in your own home place. And that garrison was there. You say, well, how could that be? Well, just think about it. Just think about it. Even right now in our country, we have so many places where other nations have influence. I mean, the Philistines were there. God said in his word that uh, the Philistines were afraid to attack the people of God because of Samuel. We read that recently. It's right here. But they were still around. They were sharpening the tools of Israel. They were forging um, ironwork. This was a garrison. I don't really know what that means. Some would say it was an army unit. I think it was more of a, of a place where the Philistines could kind of keep an eye on what was going on. You've got to deal with those places in your life. And you've got to, you got to be willing to clean up your own house. There was a high place there. There was, there were prophets that were going up to serve, and Saul needed to become familiar with his own terio. In fact, when these guys come down, they're they're playing their instruments, they're singing. There's an experience with the Lord there in his own place. And there he becomes as another man. Man there, ish, can mean the maturity. He begins to grow in the Lord. Now, whether he continued in that was yet to be seen. We know the challenging history that is to come. But he had to establish the dwelling place of the Lord right where he was. In fact, so much so that his uncle... People start seeing what's going on. They say, hey, isn't this Kish's son? Is Saul now and the prophets? They knew who he was. This was his home place. And in fact, his uncle comes and says, hey, where have you been? Probably saw his oily hair. Probably heard what was just going on. He said, well, I went to see Samuel. Well, what did he say to you? Well, he told me that the, my father's livestock was safe. He didn't tell him anything else. And so Samuel says, then Elohim is with you. You just 
for the for the time in front of you, he first makes a mention about Gilgal, but then he he says you just go with the flow of the Lord as occasion it says. Now we could talk later about what all the Gilgal thing represents. There was there was a time where. Um, Samuel gathered everybody to Mizpah and made the pronouncement about Saul being the one that God had chosen. And then there was an official coronation at Gilgal. And I suppose that this was an ongoing place that they met. And, you know, some people get confused about one of the episodes where Saul waited seven days and on the eighth day he went ahead and offered sacrifice and that was one of the things that took the kingdom. And you think, well, where did Samuel tell him that? I think it was an ongoing thing that any time they were going to Gilgal, that was directed by Samuel and the people were supposed to be waiting for seven days. But we don't have record of it specifically saying exactly what I just said. But here... Samuel sets that motion, and Gilgal was important. It was the place of sacrifice. The people needed to, to become humble before the Lord and wait on him. It was one of the schools. It was an encampment with the angels. Um, there was an anointing in that place for the recalibration of what the people were supposed to be doing. And as we study about these locations, we'll see that each one of them had a different measure of efficacy that we need to recognize in our own lives. But for Saul, he had to deal with his own identity and commit that to the Lord. His heart had to direct this. Secondly, he had to be willing to commit himself to spending time with God to be willing to mobilize when God said to be mobilized and really to welcome the plan of God and the ladder of God, um, to and that comes through commune with God. Right and left hand, loaves. And then he comes to his own home. He's going to have to deal with the enemy there, but he's going to have to raise up the places of anointing that were his in his terio. And, and when you do that, then you become truly as someone that God can change into a mature individual who will partner with him. Those other things don't do it. Yes, you can be given another heart, a chance to follow God. But if you really want to become as another person where God changes you, you've got to go down this pathway and stick to it. Many people fail there at that last one. They get comfortable. I mean, that's what Benjamin was known for. They got antsy. They didn't want anybody else telling them what they, what they should do. Their name meant, first of all, Rachel said, son of my sorrow. Jacob changed it to son of my right hand. Um, but they were mostly left-handed. They wanted what they wanted. They wanted it now. They wanted it in their way. So Saul had to commit himself. He had to be willing to commune with God and he had to be willing to establish a dwelling place for the Lord, a meeting place of existing before God in his own home. And if he couldn't do that, he wouldn't be king. Those are kingly principles. That has to be in anybody that participates in what we as seers and prophets saints and sons what we teach and I think this is a hallmark of what needs to be now you know Mizpah the watchtower the the whole issue of God choosing Saul and then there's that episode with Nahash the Ammonite the right eyes Israel rising up and then um from that point, you see Saul, we don't know what happens during most of that first year to two years. But by that time, then Jonathan's there. His dad's kind of 
drifting, wouldn't you say? Just not displaying maturity. Remember the crazy things that he did with Jonathan, threatening to kill him because he made that Jephthah-like ridiculous statement that I'm going to kill anybody who who breaks this fast while we're in warfare. Who fasts during warfare? Now, I'm not talking spiritual warfare. You don't find that. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. But Saul said it anyway. you got to be careful. Measure twice, cut once. You don't find that Samuel said for him to make that ridiculous statement. The people rose up against Saul then and said, you won't touch your son. That's not the way you have a kingdom. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about this, but I've known enough to be able to stay at this church for over 40 years. One of the ways you do that is not making an idiot of yourself in public by making statements that you can't back up. Um, you put a lock on your lips. I mean, Jephthah says, you know, God's going to give this great victory and I'm going to, the first thing that I see when I come back to my house, I'm going to offer as a sacrifice. Well, his young daughter comes out dancing, giving praise to the Lord. What a dummy. That was just ridiculous. So Saul really wasn't very disciplined. And he, he listened too much to the people. Um, he obviously didn't take full advantage of his relationship with Samuel. Samuel loved him. Um, but during all this time, Samuel was still busy teaching, teaching the Tobe and teaching what you should do in response to the Tobe. That was the essence of these, quote, schools. And that's what we need. You know, God's going to be guiding us now. I'm grateful for this emphasis because, you know, we've got a lot to give to the places that the Lord is sending us to the nations. And we will be providing lots of biblical, doctrinal, pneumatikos teachings. But one of the things that we've got to give to everybody is somewhat of a school of Samuel where we can um, capsulize um, the framework of how do you let the Spirit move within you? How do you study the Word and appropriate what the Word is saying? How do you safeguard yourself from false doctrine? What do you do when the Spirit begins to move upon you? How do you seek God? Um, it's your responsibility to seek after the Lord. You cannot get into complacency. How do you offer prophetic song? You know, one of the things that we we really did do our best to go after prophetic song. And I think that what we did here and what so many of you did in your, your churches has paved the way for what God is doing throughout the world. It, it, it broke through in the spirit realm. And um, the enemy attacked our worship group. And um, we still minister prophetically. Uh, we will do that because it does something before the Lord. Um, you know, that was part of these schools. It's part of these people you see coming down off these high places. And they're not killer bands. I mean, they're just strumming on lyres and playing, blowing into flutes and things. And But the Spirit of the Lord comes upon them. We don't have to be entertained. We don't have to give a rockin' environment. That's one of the things the church always tries to do, is to, is to present something that's just up there. And yeah, you should give your best, but we we must have the presence of the Lord just on simple expressions prophetically. And I know that that's got to be presented. There are other factors 
that we need to put so that we can say, okay, here are these six things and here are these capacities that God puts in his church and you got to have all of them. And that can be done quickly and easily. It's like a primer for people who want to move in the things of the Spirit and be open to God. But from there then, those who want deeper understandings will provide, quote, unquote, a library of sorts of doctrinal deeper teachings from the Scripture that are meat of the Word. But not everybody not everybody is going to pursue the meat of the word. I, I, I'm just rambling here, obviously. I didn't need to tell you that, did, you, did I? But everybody needs to know, thus says the Lord, this is what's required of you. You need to be breathing the Spirit of God. You need to be born again. We're talking about teaching the church here, the people of God. Um, and that's largely missing in most of the church. Do you realize that? Do, do you realize that? That is largely missing. These elemental things that you and I see in the Word are largely missing among the people of God. <clears throat> so our agenda as saints <clears throat> is to be the teacher-seers who empower the kingdom. You can see that the doors are opening and have been opening around the world for that. And now God's saying, okay, this is that. This is what you're doing. And I think God's going to give us, he's giving us an anointing to portray these things. So we've got a twofold agenda. We've got this school of Samuel. We're not going to call it that. But we've got to put that forward in capsulized form so that we can inject that into Brazil, into Western Europe, into Africa, into the other places where God is opening. Um, and But then we also have to have the, the deeper pursuits for those who want to go beyond that then to, to understand the deeper things of the word. When you say, well, Pastor, wouldn't Everybody want to do that? Well, I would hope so. But I've been around for a long enough time in this pneumatikos stuff to know that not everybody... I've got to watch how I say this. There are lots of kinds of people. There are many different types of people in a saint's group. And we just came back from Western Europe wonderful people, allies for decades now with us, representatives from many countries, great time of prayer, seeking the Lord, wonderful visitations of the Spirit, just great. But I could just see from looking out over people that I've known for a long time, these folks, this particular person or these people, if, if they just continue what they're doing just in simplicity before the Lord on behalf of the Word if they just keep ministering to the Lord that will be enough for them because we need people to simply be that you know I early on I called them fuelers here people that you knew you could just get in the presence of the Lord and they would just go hard after him now, we had to go deeper because we're responsible for receiving the word and teaching these deeper things so that pastors and leaders and those that are called to be teachers can understand them. But some people are just not cut out for that role. It's not that they reject that. It's not that they're incapable of it, but they need to just seek the Lord. And you've got to put the things in their life that will keep them pure. But then others, it seems like then when people go after the deeper things of the word, that you have to keep reminding them, you better, that pursuit is so absorb, absorptive 
It, it will consume you. That you've got to keep seeking. You've got to, you've got to go into that secret place. You've got to make yourself just do the simple things. The first love. The, the, you, you've, you've got to do the first things. And that's what destroys seminaries. And I know that draw. Sometimes I can become so focused on studying the Word and going, letting the Spirit guide me into all truth that I, that I need to be, even though I'm with the Lord in His Word, that I need to be reminded, you need to just come and lay before me and not be pe pecking on your computer. This is a time just for you to know me. So on both ends of the spectrum, people need to be reminded of that. And in the middle. You have people that are elemental. They need to find the Lord. Whether they feel anything or not. People that are going after the deeper things. They need to come back to square one and seek the Lord. Just for Him. Um, people that are more emotive and reactive, they need to know the Lord without wanting to have their heads spin or some kind of manifestation that they can that they can put up on their poster board of experiences. So these three things Saul had to do. He had to commit himself. He had to spend time with God to hear from God and to be changed by God. And he had to live it where God had planted him. Those three things, a changed heart, will then, if you do those, will continue to perfect the changed person. And we need this. Well, thank you for being part of this great calling that God has given us. We bless you, and let's just continue to seek the Lord during these wonderful days of summer, and um, we will continue to pray for you. We're grateful for you. May God provide for you and bless you, and we look forward to what our next time together will bring from the Word of God. Till then, God bless, and goodbye.